what does it mean to belong to a family? What does it mean to be unconditionally loved and to be able to change? When I watch these little caterpillars who they begin in the world looking kind of ugly, and in that chrysalis where they are held and they're safe and they're protected, that's actually where transformation happens. And that's what I believe a family is meant to be. Welcome everyone to Bringing Kids Home, a TBHC foster care and adoption production. I'm Jennifer Thomas, TBHC's marketing director. We are excited you're joining us today to hear stories of foster care and adoption and how any one of us, including you, can make a difference in a child's life. Stick around and hear how stories of faith and family help bring kids home. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Curry, president of TBHC Foster Care and Adoption. I'm so glad you're with us. My guest today is Maggie Paulus. After growing up in Arkansas, she has lived in uh, Michigan for the past 14 years and has four kids with her husband, Brent. Brent and Maggie currently travel around the country as family revivalists with Life Action Ministries. This makes being a parent fun and challenging, doing what she calls road schooling with her kids. Uh, I have seen on Facebook Maggie dabbling in lapidopterists and commenting on her love of cookie butter, saying it has changed her life. (laughs) I'm excited to hear and explore her story with you today. Maggie's story is inspirational and demonstrates how God is in the nitty-gritty details of our life. He doesn't waste any of our experiences. She joins us today wanting people to adopt kids if they are inclined. Maggie, thank you for sharing your time with us today. Thank you so much. Really, really thankful to get to be here. Well, it's I'm really excited about today. Uh, I want to first comment on this uh, lepidopterology, which is the study of butterflies. <laughs> I, I can't even say it, but I'd love to hear about that because I've seen lots of videos on Facebook of the butterflies coming out of their cocoons. And I'm, I'm curious of what your interest with that is. Well, first of all, thank you for teaching me a new word today. I don't know if I could pronounce it, but I feel a lot smarter now that you said that's what I'm into. But what I'm really into is, so we have in Michigan, I know they're all over, little monarch caterpillars. And we grow a bunch of milkweed in our yard, which my husband is not real happy with. He thinks it's weeds and it should be mowed down but I make him leave me a giant patch of milkweed in the backyard. And so when we see these little tiny caterpillars, we bring them in our kitchen and we have an aquarium in our kitchen. But this year we did something that we've never done before. And my friends think it's really crazy. I usually make a a screen for my aquarium, but this year I decided I'm going to not make a screen and I'm going to see where the caterpillars go after they're done munching on their milkweed. And I'm just going to see where they build their cocoons. And so, or actually it's chrysalis if it's the butterfly. So the funny thing is they don't go too far, but we found them in really random places. Uh, The other day we had a chrysalis on our marker cup, the cup that we have our markers in. They've crawled up to our, um, our windows. And so we have to be really careful in our kitchen these days because you might accidentally crunch a chrysalis if you're not, if you're not looking for one. Wow. Uh, That's really cool. And and I've kind of gotten that idea from your Facebook page and showing the videos of some of them coming out, but that's really neat. They've explored your entire kitchen area for sure. (laughs) Yes, it's fun. It's a good science lesson right there. Well, you know, while we're, while we're stirring mac and cheese, we're learning about that big word you just pronounced. (laughs) 
Well, I'll leave it to you to say again, and that way I don't ever have to say it again. Uh, that's great. Well, thanks for kind of sharing that with us. That's really neat. Well, jump right in and, and tell us your bringing kids home story. Okay. So when I was little, I tell people that I was born in the world to two severely broken people. And my birth mom was a drug addict and she was alcoholic. She was also a prostitute, and I have early memories of all kinds of crazy things. And my birth dad, the same thing. He was um, a drug addict and an alcoholic, really, really immoral. So my early childhood memories are of us uh, running from the police all the time, in and out of foster homes, and um, even really getting abandoned um, in places that we didn't know who, who was going to pick us up or when we were going to ever get back home. But thankfully, uh, when I was seven and my little brother was five, uh, this, there was another family in Arkansas, which is where I was born. And they, um, my, my dad, the one who ended up, who was my adopted dad, he was just this normal mechanic. Uh, he worked on cars all day, but my, my, my adopted parents had Jesus in their hearts. And my dad told me later that he was just working and um, trying to love his job, he hated he hated his job, and he would he would learn how to pray at work, and just thank God for things. And one day, even though they had a couple of kids already and a dog, so they should have been set, um, he felt like God was putting on his heart that they really weren't done having kids, that they didn't really have that the American dream didn't really mean anything, that God was calling them to a different kind of life, and so. He came home, and I remember my mom telling me later after I was adopted, she said, Maggie, I thought that your dad was going to say that he was either going to divorce me or that we were going to have to go be missionaries in Africa. She said, because when he came home that day from work, his face was like so distraught. And she said, but what he told her was, "Uh, Maria, I really believe that we're not done having kids. And I really think God wants us to have some more children. So that began um, the search for us, and I don't know how they do it right now, probably differently in different states, but at the time, back in the 80s, this would have been in 1987, um, or a little bit before, because I was adopted when I was seven, but they began um, going, you know, getting involved with the social workers, and they had to get all the paperwork done, make sure they're, you know, decent humans that could raise uh, more kids. And so one day my mom walks into the social worker's office and she sees this picture on the social worker's desk and, and they had already been praying a really crazy prayer. And they said, God, there's so many kids out there. There's just picture albums full of kids and we're supposed to just pick out some kids out of these picture albums. And we feel really overwhelmed by that. So would you just let us recognize somehow whatever kids are ours. Let it be as if we've always known them as soon as we see their picture. So that day when my mom walked in the social worker's office and she saw my little brother in my picture on the desk and she said that her heart just stopped and tears popped into her eyes and she said to the social worker, Julia, that is them, that's my kids. And the social worker argued with my mom and said, no, ma'am, these kids are actually in a foster home right now, and these people are trying to adopt them, and that's why their paperwork is out. So 
you can't have these kids. And she tried to give my mom another picture album full of other kids. And my mom, thankfully, is a really strong lady. And she would not back down. And she just argued and argued with that poor social worker (laughs) until finally uh, the social worker said, okay, you can at least take the picture home. Because my mom said, can I just take this picture home and show it to my husband? I just want to see if he has the same reaction. And so I don't know how she, she just wore her down. And she got the picture. She took it home. And she laid it in on the sink in the bathroom where my dad would come home every day and he'd empty out his keys and out of his loose change, you know, out of his pockets onto the bathroom sink. And she said, this is the first time I ever did this, but I didn't say a word to your dad whenever he came in because I wanted, I didn't want to influence him. And so my dad came in and he saw the picture and the exact same reaction happened his heart, you know, skipped a beat and he tears popped into his eyes and he said, that's them. That's our kids. And my mom said, I know, I know I tried to tell her, but she actually says they're getting adopted. And so at the time they had this prayer chain, you know, this is before email and before um, Facebook and they would call their friends and, and ask their friends to pray. And they said, listen, we found our kids. Like we know, we know the ones, but we, they say they're not available. So we need you guys to pray. So all all of my parents' friends began praying. And one day I'm not good with dates or times. um, But my mom told me later that one day the social worker called and said, Maria, you are not going to believe this. And then she said, actually, you know, you will believe this, but there was some really bad things happening in this foster home and someone undercover reported it. And so this family is no longer allowed to adopt these kids. Would you like to have these kids? And that is a story, really a beautiful redemption story of how me and my little brother, we call it coming home um, when I was seven and he was five. So that's the story. Wow. That's really incredible. When I hear uh, all of these things, I mean, obviously you're looking you're looking backwards and it's not even your experience you're sharing. Mm-hmm. Could you kind of dig into a little bit of your experience during that time of waiting for your family for that coming home moment? Yes. So as I told you, we, my little brother and I, we were always used to running all the time. We, I remember I had memories of um, police catching up to us and we were sitting in the back seat. My mom is, my birth mom is handcuffed. And, um, and I remember her crying and saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I just remember as a little kid looking over and, and knowing somehow in my little, little kid heart that my birth parents wanted to make it work. They really wanted to, but for some reason they couldn't make it work. They couldn't keep us. And so we were in and out of foster homes a lot. And I honestly don't remember any purely safe foster homes in my memories when I go back into them there is a bad memory in every one of them of uh, child abuse or sexual abuse or something like that and so um, as you can imagine as a little Maggie um, my world was pretty turbulent and when I got to the last foster home which was also the one that was reported on we were there for two full years and we really thought that these people were going to adopt us. And again, bad stuff was happening in the home, but because we had always 
been used to these bad things happening. We didn't know, and we were little. We didn't know to tell, you know, people, uh, teachers at school or anything like that because that was normal, normal life for us. So thankfully, um, I just know that people were praying along my little life journey. I, I just wonder sometimes if I get to heaven, if God will say, Hey, one time this lady saw you, you know, at the store, she prayed for you. Because when I look back and I, and I remember things, I could see God's hand so clearly in the way he continually rescued us. He did allow bad stuff to happen, but he kept moving us along. And, um, and so when I did, I remember the first time we went to a social worker's office and we met our new mom and dad. And they told us, um, these people are going to adopt you and you're going to stay with them and you're never going to leave. And you're not going to have to go to any more foster homes. And honestly, um, as a seven-year-old, I didn't know what that even meant. And so I didn't, on it, I didn't even believe them. Um, I didn't know what it meant to stay somewhere. And so it took me a full year personally before I even bonded with my, my family but, um, and we can talk more about that later, but that's just a little glimpse into little kid, Maggie, who grew up bouncing around everywhere. Um, I remember feeling super unstable and just this deep ache constantly that, um, longing for, for my, my family, for my mom or my dad and not knowing where they were. And so, honestly, it's taken years. <laughs> you know, people that go through traumatic things, it takes you kind of like the rest of your growing up years to heal from that. But Jesus has so faithfully healed me and has continued to heal me from those uh, childhood traumas and, and made me so thankful that another mom and dad in the world, and they were not perfect. And, and we can talk about that, too. Um, and they didn't have their act together and they didn't have their ducks in a row. They just, they just obeyed God. They heard God tugging on their hearts and they just said yes to him. And it was really, really hard. Uh, my adoptive years were also really, really hard. There was lots of issues that our whole, all of us had to work through. Um, but we had Jesus and he's been so faithful to keep healing those things. That's an amazing testimony. I'm blown away by pretty much every detail because it's it's our current situations that we're facing today with our kids. Uh, as you as you well know, every single one of our kids, if they end up in foster care for any reason, any reason at all, it's because they're going to carry some trauma with them for sure. Each family they go to, no matter what's happening in that household, the best foster parents in the world uh, end up having experiences for with those kids that is difficult for everybody. I appreciate your honesty with that. You know, when we think about uh, what you talked about, um, the families and your bonding experience, I definitely, definitely want to uh, hear more about that. One of the things that our parents go through a lot of times is that question of what's happening here. I've, I've, given up a lot to take in this child. We've changed our entire life to make sure that they can be in our family. And, you know, the thing I always encourage everyone, don't expect a child to be grateful for things that they should have had anyway, which is a mom and a dad. Kind of talk about some bonding and what that was, why that was so difficult and kind of illustrate that for families who are considering adoption. Yeah. Um, I've only recently been 
become interested in studying brain, the brain and how as a child, those very early formative years, your brain is so developing. And if you don't bond in those early years, uh, then you do have trouble bonding for the rest of your life. Not that God can't heal those things, but your brain just develops entirely differently than someone who is always nurtured and always held and always loved. And so I do remember bonding with my birth parents. I remember that emotional connection with them very, very deep and strong. But again, they kept breaking my trust. I didn't know that's what it was as a kid, but I kept being abandoned. And so um, when my new family came, um, I think for me, it just took years to not, or years to just be able to trust. And, and it did, it was so slow. Um, and then the emotional part takes a long time, especially, you know, you don't get to pick your kids, whether, whether they're born to you or usually even if you adopt them, um, you don't know, you don't know what's coming. So emotionally, you might have an entirely different personality than you wanted to have. Um, and that happens to people with, with birth kids. You can't choose their personalities. So even the bonding that happens, that's a challenge because you've got this kid that's nothing like you, or maybe they're way too much like you. And so um, I just know for us, um, unfortunately, we didn't as a family have the kind of resources that are available today. Um, I think about Karen Purvis's ministry and how she has helped so many people with kids that come from hard places to know, to understand their brains and understand how to bond. And we didn't have any of that. So honestly, it was a pretty crazy ride all through, I mean, the entire time. Um, but again, Jesus has been faithful to keep us. Uh, he taught us how to forgive. I think that's the one advantage that Jesus followers have um, in adoption is you know what it means to, to relentlessly forgive someone. And to, to keep giving people grace because we're all in process. And I think that's why I really love butterflies. And that's why I'm so amazed by these little caterpillars because when they begin in the world, they look entirely different than what they're going to become. And I'm going to cry for a second because it's so beautiful to me, but Jesus speaks to me through nature, and I remember asking him my really hard, you know, curious life questions, and one of those questions is, what is what does it mean to belong to a family? Um, what does it mean to be unconditionally loved and to be able to change? And when I watch these little caterpillars who, who they begin in the world looking kind of ugly, honestly, they're really ugly. Um, and then they grow and they, they go into this little chrysalis, which is a safe space. And in that chrysalis where they are held and they're safe and they're protected, that's actually where transformation happens. And they become their truest selves. When they break out, they can fly. They look entirely different. And, and that's what I believe a family is meant to be. A family is a safe space. Um, because we're going to get kids, whether they're born to us or they're adopted, that we don't like some days. You know, they're they're really hard. It's really hard to be a human. Um, even a good life, for some reason, it's hard. 
And we are meant to be wrap ourselves around each other in a way that we become the buffer, you know, between the world. And we we decide you can fail, you can fail here, and you're still going to get to lo- be loved. And you can have your issues, and I'm going to help you with your issues, but I'm I'm still going to love you, and I'm going to be the safe place. And slowly over time, the great hope, and I think what Jesus has in mind is that we become our best selves. We become our truest selves because we are in a place where we really can belong and we can learn how to change um, because we're loved and not because we have all these stresses on our life or all these rules on us. Hi, I'm Jamie Hogan, Executive Program Administrator at TBHC Foster Care and Adoption Services. Did you know there's over 7,000 children waiting for adoption today? Did you also know that Texas has 30,000 children entering foster care every year? At TBHC, our hope is to provide the highest quality of care for kids who are coming from really hard places. We work to make sure that children in our care have a safe and loving home and that their dreams have no limits. What if you could be a part of making those dreams possible? I'd like to invite you to join the thousands of people who help TBHC meet the needs of children by going online to tbhc.org and clicking the donate button. Our ministry depends on supporters like you to help bring kids home. On our website, you can also find out more information about our agency, inspiring stories, and ways to pray for TBHC kids. To find out how you can make an impact on children in foster care, check us out at tbhc.org. Learn how to change um, because we're loved and not because we have all these stresses on our life or all these rules on us. Yeah, that's incredibly beautiful to think about God creating the family to give birth to some transformation in our own lives. And I personally can attest to that and what I see in my family. Let's jump to your, back to your parents. Uh, a little bit of your statement earlier, not perfect parents. I guess adopted children need absolutely perfect parents. Is that <laughs> is that the premise of our conversation? I think that's our fear. You know, like when you, when you talk to people, um, maybe that's one big hang up with adoption is people are afraid that they're not going to be, uh, they can't even handle what they've got. How can they take in more kids or how can they, they don't have a good setup or something. And so, yeah, our testimony is, and I, and I do my best to honor my parents because they, I always knew no matter what, I always knew they loved me more than anything. And I never, ever doubted that. But my parents, uh, my adopted parents, both had their own hardships growing up. My mom had a brutal childhood um, and tons of trauma for her. And so, um, as you can imagine, parenting from a place where your traumas aren't healed yet is really, really hard. And it's painful for everyone. And so, we had a bunch of bumps, a, bu- a bunch of bumps, and it was really hard uh, thankfully, when I was in college, um, my mom, someone introduced my mom to a counselor in Texas. And I remember the day she went for a few days and she came home and God had done some really beautiful healing in her life. And she said to me and my little brother, she said, listen, I have screwed you guys up your whole childhood. <laughs> and I'm going to, if I don't do anything else, I'm going to take you to this counselor and I just, at least I'm going to help you with the healing process now. And so we each took turns. My mom, she drove us all the way to Texas. And I remember being a freshman in college and I didn't want to tell anybody because it wasn't cool at all to tell someone 
hey, I'm leaving, I'm skipping classes so I can go get some therapy because I kind of have a hard time with life, you know? So, but I did. I left for a few days and God used that therapist to, um, he just prayed with me through my traumas, my childhood traumas before adoption and after adoption. And God healed so many things. And I think that's why I can, um, I don't know, live in kind of a normal life. And not just a normal life, but a thriving existence. I'm not just existing anymore. Like I'm, I'm truly thriving and doing really well. And I, and I know how to be a good mom now to my kids. And and there's grace and forgiveness for both my birth parents and my adopted parents. We all give each other grace and forgiveness. And um and we all just are patient with each other. So that's that's awesome. Yeah. So. What I love about that is you gave pretty much the statement I was going to ask you about thriving now. What is the rest of the story? Because with all the trauma, with all the heartache, with all the things behind you that still can play a part in who you are today, what, what is the rest of the story? How did we get to thriving for you today? Well, I think that Jesus is in it for the long haul, that you never click a button and suddenly you get healed from everything, you know, like, I think that that is the life that you get to have with Jesus is every day you wake up and you have an issue or you have a past and Jesus is there to help you heal from those things. And so, um, over the years, God has brought different people into my life, different books, um, different videos uh, on the internet all kinds of resources. I think that people need to know that no matter what has happened to them or to their kid, that they're adopting, like God is for their healing. He wants us to do well, but it's a lifelong process. And, um, and so I remember when I was about 14, a really huge healing moment happened for me. Um, and I, I remember because I had become a Christian when I was seven, my mom introduced me to Jesus and immediately I, I knew, of course, I want him to be my savior. And um, so I began walking with him. My granny gave me a Bible and she said, it. and my mom said, if you want to know God, you sit down and you just read this book and God will show you who he is. And so I'd been walking with Jesus for a while and then 14 years old hits and we all know that teenage years are like so turbulent anyways. But I remember having like a crisis moment where I, I remembered all the bad things that had happened to me. And I had been told since then that God is love and God is real and God is really powerful. And so I honestly, I had like a wrestling match moment with God and I just brought to him my honest, real questions. And I just said, God, I... I heard that these, this is true of you, but I don't understand. Like, why did you let this bad stuff happen to me when I was little and when, no, and when I couldn't be helped? Nobody was around to help me. If you're so big and if you're so good, like, how did that happen? And I just had a moment with Jesus, and, and I won't go into detail how he healed those specific questions and how he helped me, but I did have a moment where Jesus showed up for me, and he comforted me deeply. And he showed me where he was rescuing all along the way. And uh, he reminded me that the world, we all choose, in a world where we, we choose, there's going to be people that choose bad because he didn't make us into robots. He did make us free 
free beings. And so, um, but he showed me that he wasn't going to waste any of that crud that was dealt to me. That there's a scripture that says all things, all things work together for good to those who love God. And so um, what God has done in my life continually is flips that thing upside down that caused the pain and the trauma, which honestly, I believe the enemy has used to target, uh, uses to target us or to try to name us. Um, God uses that very thing and flips it over and he turns it into something that is redemptive. And he's done that over and over for me. And he still does it today. Like uh, there's yesterday or today, I'm sitting down with Jesus uh, in the morning when I have my quiet time and I've got my coffee and I can tell I'm really scared of something. And so we'll go, I'll go back with Jesus. Why am I afraid? What is it that I'm afraid of? And we'll identify that fear together. And he just daily walks with me, lets me ask him my really honest questions. And they're not pretty spiritual questions. Like they're deep, ugly sometimes questions. And he, um, he just continually shows me that he's really good and he's very present and the enemy doesn't ever get to have the final say. God just redeems everything because he loves us. Well, that's really powerful. Uh, I was reading through Matthew not very long ago and got to five, verse three, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what you're sharing at the moment always reminds me of that uh, because the destitute is what that's talking about, the spiritually destitute. And we all need to be remembering that we are spiritually destitute and need a savior. So what a, what a powerful reminder. Thank you. Kind of talk to us about your role in life action and what they do for churches and what you specifically get to do with this story. So Britt and I have been part of this ministry for about, again, I'm terrible with numbers, 14 or so years. Um, and currently, the last four seasons, we have traveled the United States, which means we have, uh, the ministry gave us this ginormous RV, like it's, people feel sorry for us when they hear that we live in an RV for about eight months, until they get and look inside our RV, and then they're like, oh, you guys are fine, like it's ginormous, but we travel with a whole team, about 25 young people, there's another couple that are the main revivalists. And I like to call us a hospital for souls. And so what we do is we go to a church. Uh, we schedule a conference with them. We let everybody rest, the pastor, the teachers, the, the children's workers. And we come in and we just do several nights in a row of um, seeking God together. And what we find over and over is that when people just take a pause on life, and they, they come and they seek the Lord together. God is in the healing business and he meets with these people. And so I've been so encouraged because, you, you know, you get on Facebook or whatever the news and you feel like this country is doomed and it gets really depressing. But I've seen over and over that actually God is doing some really beautiful things. Uh, it just doesn't get reported on in, in little quiet corners all over the U.S. And so we're really, really thankful to get to be a part of that. That's really great. And I know that that's where my wife got to hear your story and you got to share a little bit of your testimony one evening with the women. Because of that, we got to meet. Y'all came over to my home for lunch and uh, we got a chance to get to know each other. And that's meant a lot to me. Um, 
thank you for being a part of this today. I, my final question I want to leave with you is if you were able to share with anyone one thing about adoption that you wanted everyone to know, what would that be? Um, I was tearing up right as you're as you're asking that because it's the very thing that Jesus speaks in, into my own heart. And that and that is don't be afraid. Um, even though I was adopted, and now that I have my own kids, I have four of my own. Um, birth, I birthed them, and and I've revisited what my my adopted parents did. And I've just been amazed that they truly loved us as if they had always known us, which blows my mind, honestly, because I haven't adopted any kids. So the fact that someone could love you like that is so profound to me. But but as I've wrestled with God, like, okay, so now do I, do we adopt? Because it's kind of important, you know, (laughs) that's how I got here. And that's how I'm doing well now. Somebody adopted me. And I felt the Lord say to me over and over, Maggie, just keep your hands open, ask, and don't be afraid. Um, you're going to have what you need when you need it. And it, it could be really hard, but, but it would also be really, really good. It literally changes the trajectory of a person's life. Like their entire life is completely changed when somebody steps in and decides to be a safe place, um, a nurturing place, a place where you get to be unconditionally loved like that. There really isn't a more profound way to change the world than to raise humans. Um, and so that's my encouragement to myself daily and to my friends is, is open your hands and ask, ask God, what, what's my part in that? And then also just step out in faith as God leads and don't be afraid. Yeah. Great reminder. Um, if people wanted to get in touch with you, what would be the best way to do that for them? Um, I'm on Facebook way too much. So you can join me if you're on Facebook, uh, Maggie Paulus. And I also um, I'm, am on Instagram. It's called Glory in the Grime. And I have a blog that I try to write faithfully on just MaggiePaulus.com. Perfect. Well, thank you again for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you so much. I totally believe in what you're doing. And I know it's going to help a lot of people and it's going to rescue some people. So keep going. It's really good, beautiful, important work. Thank you so much, Maggie. If you would like to get in touch with today's guest or any of our previous guests, you can contact us through email podcast at tbhc.org. That's podcast at tbhc.org. Leave us a comment, recommend a guest to our show, and give us a five-star review. And don't forget to subscribe. To everyone listening, thanks for helping bring kids home. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget to check out our website, tbhc.org, and discover how you can participate in bringing kids home.